0: Let's turn in our Bibles to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'm just going to read the fourth chapter. We're not going to look at all the fourth chapter, but we're going to read the, the fourth chapter. And then we'll have a look at verses. Today I'm reaching from verse 11 to 13. We'll just have a look at it. Hebrews 4. Did I say 4? Yeah, 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain way or in a certain place on the, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those whom it was preached or was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, As it has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall accordingly, according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. So again, it seems really weird because our, our preachings are all kind of uh, broken up, so I, I always feel like I need to do a massive recap, and I don't want to do a massive recap, but I'll do a little recap anyway, okay? Just so you all know. We understand that the writer of the Hebrew to the Hebrews here is trying to, build up his readers in their faith. What has been happening is that they have been going through a time of testing and persecution. We remember from the book of Acts, Herod had been persecuting the church. That the the, the Jews had become under great pressure. The Jewish Christians, should I say, had come under great, great pressure to reconform to the status quo, to the state religion. Now you can understand this, that Jewish Christians no longer lived under the burdens and restrictions of the old covenant or indeed the traditional old covenant. They no longer had to go and sacrifice a lamb for sins. They no longer had to do all the traditional washings and coverings and things like this because Christ had set them free. And indeed, we know that some of them had begun to eat unclean meat. Remember Peter and his vision at Joppa? And he being able to sit down together with the, the Gentiles. And there was a, a, a breaking free of the old traditions. Now, because of that, persecution happened. Difficulty happened. And the people, the Christians, became under great pressure. And we can understand this. If you think in a, in a, in a Middle Eastern family context where family matters, Family is a big deal. Not like us Northern European people that we're very broken up. We're very individualistic. We have our moms and our dads, but we don't. We don't really. They live in one house in one village, very far away. Or like me, my parents. My, my dad is of course a path, but my mom lives in a very small village in Northern Ireland. And because of that, I love her greatly. But we don't live close by. But in in, in the ancient Middle East, families were tightly knit. There was. A great connection there. Not just with mom and dad, but with aunties and uncles and cousins, nephews and nieces, grandparents and grandchildren. There was a great social family network, the cost, the household. Almost like a tribal system where the elders were the oldest people in the family and they were the ones who ruled and, and, and led. Now you imagine then that you come to faith. You're part of that tradition, part of that tightly knit body of family. And we're all kind of pointed in the same way. We all celebrate the Passover together. We all celebrate the Sabbath together. We all, we're all tightly knitted. We're all very conscious of what other people say or think or feel in that sense, even more so than we would today. And all of a sudden, you come to faith. You believe in Jesus. And you really believe. And you're born again. Not just a cultural believer. Not just a, a nominal Jew. But you become a real believer. And all of a sudden it's life and health and peace. And you, your life is transformed. And you're set free from the bondage, the slavery of the Old Testament, of, of the traditions and dictates of having to offer up endless sacrifices and all of a sudden the thing that everybody else is waiting on, the the coming of the kingdom, has happened and now you're living in the fullness of it. And Sabbath rolls around. And they open up the scriptures and begin to read Moses. Or they begin to read Joshua. They begin to read the prophets. They begin to talk about... The promise that is to come. And you as a believer, you stand up and say, no, no, the promise has come. Jesus is Messiah and people are offended. But Jesus was, he was, he was nice and everything, but the Romans killed him. The Romans killed him. He died and he didn't die in a, in a, a martyr martyrdom. He died in the most despicable, despised form and fashion. Capital punishment. And in such a way that it brought disgrace. His nakedness was displayed before the. There's this shame that we, we don't want to talk about Jesus. And these believers from these families from this network were ostracized. They were set apart. And you can imagine that. You can imagine the pressure and the strain that was laid upon them for the sake of the family, for the sake of peace and quiet, for the sake of the status quo, stop making waves. Just go ahead and just just join in. And so the Jewish Christians had begun to dial down their diligence, dial down their devotion. They'd begun to fade back. Into the old life just to keep the status quo, just not to offend granny or grandad, just not to, to offend loved ones, mommy or daddy or sons or daughters or whoever, whoever. Remember, the Apostle Paul had been, who was Saul at the time, had been going through it, all, all of Israel, breathing murderous threats out against the church, imprisoning people, persecuting them, interrogating them. Doing all kinds of terrible things. Seizing their property as punishment. So it's not just a case of you know, making people feel uncomfortable. There are real world consequences to following Jesus. And you're putting yourself at risk and perhaps those who are associated with you at risk. And indeed we, we know from church history that many people give up the Jewish Christians for fear of being accused of being a Christian themselves, So that they, they wouldn't come under persecution. So that they wouldn't have their goods seized, their home, their home seized, their children put into slavery. Uh, they identified quickly, oh, my, my, my daughter-in-law's a Christian. Oh, get her. No, I'm not. Oh, no, 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 not me, no. But she is. And they forced the church to go underground, so that they had to meet in secret. And they did; they continued. they kept meeting in secret, way out in caves and in tunnels and caverns under the cities, or out in the forest and, and up on the mountain sides. This is the context in which the writer is writing to. He's talking to a people who are under pressure to some degree. Not everybody under the same pressure. Not everybody under the same threat. It begins small but then mounts up. There's a scale. And so what is happening again is the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, these Jewish Christians, are beginning to dial back their devotion. Beginning to kind of blend in, not to stand out so much. They're beginning to go back. They're beginning to add to their faith. Well, what can it harm if... Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus temple worship. Jesus plus something else. Haven't we been doing it for thousands of years? So, well, I mean, can't do any harm. And so the writer here is exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in the eyes and the minds of the people who are reading this or hearing this read. He he wants them to understand that there's a, Real life and consequences. And he has pointed out that Jesus is greater than the angels. And therefore, we must give him more obedience than, than the disciples who in the past. And he's using the Old Testament witness. He's telling them stories of their history. And he said, Do you remember when this happened in the past and the people didn't obey? The, the angel came and said, And they did not obey. What happened? when Moses was risen up and Moses spoke to the people for God and they did not obey, what happened? When God raised up Joshua and Joshua spoke to the people and they did not hear, they did not obey, what happened? And he's pointing that out to them. And the idea is that if it happened to them and God was with them, God went before them, God, they saw God do the miracles. But one who is greater than an angel or Moses, one who is greater than Joshua, he's here now with us. And he has spoken to us. And if the consequences of disobedience to those representatives, those servants of the house was great store. How much more will the, the consequences of disobedience to the Son, to the one who was to come, to the prophet who was promised, to the true and real Joshua? Because we all know that Joshua was the true, real name of Jesus. The Lord's deliverer or the salvation of the Lord. Jesus. And The last sermon that I did was about the promise of the rest and how the danger of to we who are believers, because he's speaking to believers. Remember that Hebrews is addressed to three different kinds of people. First to the believers, second to the nominal believers, those who who are open to it but yet have not completely committed themselves. And then also to those who are just nominal Jews, they're Jew by birth, but have no feeling. They have rejected Jesus. They're just world, worldlings with religious overtones. And he's writing to the believers here, warning them to continue in their devotion, to continue to persevere in their faith, to press on and not to give up, not to dial back or darken down, but to allow the light of Christ to shine in them, to continue to worship regardless of the cost. And then today in verse 11, in the light of what he's just said from 1 to 10, warning them about the hardening of the heart, of that evil heart of unbelief he refers to it. That Christians can have an evil heart of unbelief doesn't mean that you're malicious, like like, like a Hitler type figure. Doesn't mean that you're like some sort of serial killer, or you know, you're just you're, everything you do just drips badness. An evil heart of unbelief is a heart that no longer trusts in God, no longer rejoices in Christ, no longer rests in His promises, but has been distracted and and. Goes a different way. And he has warned the believers about that. That it is possible for a Christian to have a a heart of unbelief. That deadens their spiritual life. That causes them to stumble and to walk in disobedience. They're still believers. They're just not going the way that God wants them to go. And you and I... We know, we we look at our own generation and we can see that, can't we? We can see Christians who love or at least profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to being obedient to the scriptures, I, I know it says that in the Bible, but I just think, well everyone, But the Bible says, it says it right there, it threw in, I don't believe it means what you think it means. But it says, Eah. and they harden their heart against the word of God. They harden their heart against the ways of God. And they go their own way. They construct their own kind of worship to Christ. No longer according to the scriptures, no longer according to the dictates of God. They have hardened their heart. And the idea, of course, of hardening the heart is desensitized. It is the process through which, through re- repetitive use, you've deadened the nerves. It's why you know, we all know our beloved brother, Baba. I've seen those, uh, those uh, videos of him smashing stones or rocks and bricks, you know. And coconuts. I've seen him smash coconuts with his bare hands. Don't ever try that. It hurts a lot. I thought it can't be that hard. If you can do it, I can do it. Doesn't work. All that hurts is your hand afterwards. The coconut's perfectly fine. Hit it with a hammer, not with your hand. But how is our beloved brother Bobby able to do that? To break those rocks, to, to smash coconuts with his hand, you know. Because for years and years and years he has worked on the not just deadening the nerves, but Micro fractures in the bones have then reformed and the bone has got reinforced and incredibly you look at his hands, he looks like he has paws for hands. The man is a beast. He has desensitized the 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 blade of his hand so that he's able to strike those things and not feel pain afterwards. In the same sense Christians are able to desensitize their hearts. The word of God strikes their heart, and yet then they just oh, no. they turn away. They flee. They go wandering in the wilderness. Ah that's not what I want. I don't I or they look and see the consequences of having to obey God. I don't want to have to face Discomfort. I do not even say persecution. So the majority of us don't even get to the level of persecution. It's discomfort. It's embarrassment. It's the shame of having to be seen as a believer of Christ. And so the writer has been warning. The Holy Spirit through the writer has been warning the, the Hebrews and the church down throughout the ages of the danger of having an evil heart of unbelief, a heart that has been deadened to the voice of God, to the dictates of God. But then in verse 11, he says to those same self-believers, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. He's he's urging them. This is one of the the five exhortations throughout the, the book of Hebrews. It's, you can tell it's been written by a, or written or spoken by a preacher because in mid-flow he stops and says, "Come on, people, let us press on." It's a pastor's heart to his people. Therefore, let us be urgent. Let us there take take the opportunity to press on with great effort. Let us not be like those who just let it slip by. But let us make the effort to be obedient. Let us make the effort. Let us press on. Let us push on. Let us get up off the sofa and go outside or do something. There is the urging to action here. It's not a passive word, the verb is it's go, it's be, do something, be motivated. Don't just sit back and do nothing, don't think, well I should do that, it's like me with the gym, well I should go to the gym this day, but my feet are sore, I have stuff to do tomorrow, uh, no, be motivated, get up. It must be a precedent, an urgent thing in your life. Something that is of importance to you. Why? Because we saw from the example of our own people, of the the Jews, not our people, of the Jews. What happened to them when they did not treat it as an urgent matter. We saw what happened to them When they ignored the voice of God. We saw what happened to them when they hardened their heart. Indeed, you and I can look now back at the Jews. And we see exactly what happened, don't we? The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The nation destroyed basically by 100 AD. Wiped off the face of the earth. Scattered the peoples. Scattered to the wind. Why? Because the nation had hardened its heart against Christ. And all of the curses, all of the promises of God came true and God scattered them throughout all the nations as a witness to his power and judgment. They did not enter into that rest. And therefore, let us be urgent in the light of what we have seen, in the light of what we know to be gospel truth. Let us be different. Let us not be like the foolish people of the past. Let us understand the difficulty and the danger that we are on the edge of. And he says, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Don't be so prideful to think that you're different. Don't think you're so civilised today that you're different. It's often easy to think, well, that happened thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, they were still living in tents and wearing sandals and, you know, eating on barbecue every single day. Don would have loved it. Barbecue every single day. And it's easy to dismiss them. Easy to say, well we're different now. We have medicines and smartphones and, you know, we're just, we're so much more advanced and civilised and we like, we don't, we don't, we're not in the same danger category as those people. They were just small and naive and a little stupid because, you know, they believed in spiritual things. I often think, if these people were so dumb, how could they light fires without matches and... Lighters and you ever try to light a fire without anything? You know, like literally go and find stuff in nature and then start a fire. If I was to say it's cold outside today, go start a fire outside. Could you do it? I couldn't do it. i tried. I spent an entire weekend trying to start a fire. With just stuff that I found in the forest. Not like not pre-preparing, but just go out in the forest and try and start a fire. It is so hard. It is so hard. And yet these people lived in that world. This is part of their world. This is part of their technology. They survived greatly without the the helps of smartphones and Google and TV and electronics and whatever else we have these days that make us think we're so advanced. Don't be so prideful into thinking that we would not make the same mistakes that they did. Human beings haven't changed. We are still basically the same flesh and blood creatures, the, the same psychic makeup as they were. They loved and hated. They were friendly or full of joy and sad and hate. They were just like us. And they stumbled and made the same mistake. It's part of our default Remember the Bible says that in Adam all died. It's Adam's fault really. That in him it was passed down through all the ages to us. That broken code. That going the opposite way from God. It is in our default nature to be self-destructive and to do that which is the opposite of what's good for us. So much so that when God comes, we still hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And yet Jesus Christ has redeemed us and has set us free. But still, there is this ongoing battle with our sinful nature. That which seeks to drive us away. That which seeks to just do what's comfortable for us. That which feels good. Let us not think that that we... We are superior to the ancient Jews of the past. That somehow, in some way, we would not make the same mistake. You know, I once heard this young man in a Bible study say, well, if I had been one of the disciples, I wouldn't have run away. Or, you know, whenever. I wouldn't have made that mistake. And I was like, hi, Peter, I've always wanted to meet you. (laughs) You know, we would have been amongst those who stood and watched him be crucified. More likely than not, we would have been amongst those who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Let us not think we are greater than we are. That we are holy, holier than thou. We are but flesh and blood. We are but made of dust. Fallible, faulted creatures. We must learn from the lessons of history. You all know that I love history. I was thinking about this as I was driving here and and. Uh, church history in particular, and the lessons that we can learn. It was um, the author of uh, Tom Sawyer. What's his name? Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Thank you. Gosh, I just, it's the second time this week I couldn't remember that. He made this quote. Well, it's a, it's a credit to him, but it's probably from somebody else, but he made it famous. Uh, History doesn't repeat itself, but it often does rhyme. Meaning that the same things don't happen twice, but similar things happen. It's very in accordance. And when we look at history, we can see cause and effect. This happens, therefore we understand that that's happened. Have you ever seen cats? I have three cats, you all know I love my cats. And you'll see one of my cats sitting on, on the shelf by the window... And, uh, with its paw, it'll start moving, like, a something, a cup or something to the edge of the, the shelf, and I'll say to the cat, because I talk to my cats, if you do that, that's going to fall. Uh, you could do it to your children, but I have cats, and so, yeah, and the cat will look at it, and then it'll go, and with the cup or whatever else will fall off the shelf, and, and I'll say, I told you that was going to happen, and again, talk to my cats, I'm a, bit, a bit strange, and, uh. But we understand if you move something to the edge of a shelf, eventually it's going to fall over. And no matter how many times you do the same thing, well, how far can I get it out? Maybe this time it won't fall off the shelf. Maybe this time it won't hit the floor. Maybe this time it'll be different. But history teaches us, doesn't it? That if you move a cup to the edge of a a shelf, to to a ledge... Eventually, it's going to fall off. Eventually, it's going to hit the floor. Eventually, it's going to break. We all, we've all experienced this as children. If you touch that, you'll get burnt. We know this, don't we? Personal history. If you play with it, that's going to get broken. If you slam that door, someone's going to get their hand broken. Or something like this. Our personal experience in history teaches us we wouldn't be who we are today. We wouldn't have survived if we didn't learn from the lessons of the past. When you're driving, why do you have to have driving lessons to teach you the experiences of if you drive too fast in the snow, you will crash? If you don't look left and right when you're coming to a junction, someone will crash into you. learnt experience. We, we, we have learned from the experiences of the past in our own experience. There's the old expression. A, a smart man learns from his mistakes but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Beloved, let us be wise in our walk with Christ. Let us learn from the mistakes of the generations that have gone before us. Let us not be like passive Israel, who, though they heard the voice of God, though they received the commands, they hardened their hearts, and it became embittered, and it turned to an evil heart of unbelief, even amongst God's people. And they never entered the rest, the blessing, the fullness that God had for them. And verse 12, it tells us, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. I think it's one of the Worst misquoted verses in the entire Bible. When I was looking through this this week. There was a great discussion on, the, on the, the word of God. Whether it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Or whether it is the revelation of God. The history of Israel. That which has been spoken and recorded. Spoken by God and recorded by Israel. And I don't really know. I'm a little bit on the fence. I think it could be both. Here it's saying that for the word of God is living and powerful. This is not just some sort of empty ceremony or tradition. If it does mean that the Logos, the word of God, Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is called the Logos in First John and in Revelation. Jesus is referred to as the Logos of God. The final word, the command, that which must be heard and obeyed. The great revelation. The thought that has been made known. The last word in the the conversation. Jesus is God's last word in the conversation. The Bible says that he's living and powerful. He's not just an idol. He's not just some sort of image. But he's alive. He is always with us and He's not powerless. You know, it's very easy to believe that God is powerless in the the day in which we we live. With all the things that are going on in the politics and in the the Rona and everything else that's going on, the sicknesses that's going on. It's very easy to kind of give up and say, well, where is God in the midst of all this? We pray for people and we don't see the the outcome that we would desire in their circumstance. And we think, where is God? Is, is God powerless? Is he, is he bound in our time? But the true, and real answer, of course, is no. God is powerful. God is moving in ways that you and I do not understand. He is moving and steering the, the, the nations to a point where the second coming will happen. See, heaven isn't here on earth, heaven is heaven. And you and I desire heaven. We are naturally incline, inclined, inclined, that was the word I meant to say. Inclined to want heaven, to want the best for ourselves and for our children, and hopefully for everybody else. And we desire to make a heaven on earth, but the Bible tells us that it will not be so, that in the days as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day of the Son of Man, and he returns. Jesus himself said, will their faith be found on the earth when he returns? We understand that the world is manifesting, it's mobilizing itself against Christ and it's great rejection against him. But yet, let us believe and understand that God is powerful, powerful. To move in our hearts. But also powerful in that one day you and I must stand before him. We must stand before him in judgment. And it's there and then. The decisions will be fulfilled. It's there and then. at that's the right place at the right time. The Bible says that God is living. Or the word of God is living and active. Let's not think that he's gone away, or he's distracted, or that he doesn't. He's not aware of you. For it goes on sharper than any two-edged sword. And I want you to see that. It doesn't say that the word of God is a two-edged sword. It says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, or bleed. The idea there is piercing, thrusting if you have a, a blade that's sharpened on both sides it's, it's meant for piercing to go through something not hacking not chopping just thrust through it goes all the way through glides in there's no resistance super sharp but the bible is more penetrating the, the son of God the word of God is more penetrating. It goes where no one can see. It goes into the, the innermost being of a man. Piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, the psyche and the phenomenon, whatever it's called, I can't remember in, in Greek. Soul meaning all that is of a human being. Your mind, your emotions, even your body. All that which... Is you in your experience of life and of religion, you, the spirit that which pertains to your relationship with God or God's relationship with you, that invisible part, that part of you that you you're not able to manipulate or move, that part of you that that is dependent on God. Well, the word of God penetrates. Everything that is you, your mind, your emotions. He sees to the innermost being. He even goes beyond just seeing you. He sees the part of you that you're not aware of. He looks and he sees your relationship with God. Your devotion. How it is between you and him. The things that I can't see. I can see if you're psyche. I can see if you're not feeling good. You're sad or depressed. I can see if you're physically not doing well. You're limping, or you know you're, 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 perhaps grossly overweight or incredibly thin. I can see those things. I can understand by your communication and your conversation if you're not doing well in your mind. You're too stressed. You're hyper or something. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. But we all can. But when it comes to the spirit, I, I can't see your spirit. I can't see your devotion to God. I can't see that, that relationship that you have with him. But the word of God can. It goes to the very heart of it. It's armor piercing. It goes beyond the normal and the natural. And it says here, and the joints and marrow, old phrase or an expression, we would say right into the guts of it. Joints and marrow, the marrow being the, the substance that's in the middle of your bones. We all are familiar with marrow. The joints being those tendons and uh, the parts of its holes, the, the gristle. Have you ever eaten uh, Yulshinka? You know, and ha- you have the joint there. And you're trying to cut the way The joint's very hard, isn't it? It's like a gummy band or an elastic band. It's very difficult to get through. The bone itself. Have you ever tried to saw through a, a pig bone again? Yulshinka. It's really hard to saw through the bone. You have to cut along the bone, not through the bone. But the Bible tells us that the Word of God, it is able to cut through even the hardest of bone. Not physical bone. Not talking, it's not talking about physical stuff. It's an expression meaning. It gets to the very heart of it, to the guts of it, to the innermost being, to the part of you that's at the core. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now I might not be able to speculate as into the intents and thoughts of your heart. I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But the word of God, whether it be the Lord Jesus Christ or this written revelation, it exposes it. Remember these people who we've just read about. Those who heard from the angel and disobeyed. Those who heard from Moses and yet disobeyed. Those who heard from Joshua and yet disobeyed. The word of God exposed their disobedience. Because God said this way and they went, no, 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 that way. God said you shall not and they went, we shall as much as we can. And the inclination of their heart was exposed. It was exposed because God said, no, my way, this is the best way. Do this. And they went, no, 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 no. And they hardened their heart and they went wandering in the wilderness. And sadly, Christians today can do the same thing. And it's only the word of God, whether again being the Lord Jesus Christ in his physical form or the written representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible His words, remember he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. It shines the spotlight of God's will into our lives and lays them bare. And we see where a person is between God or with God through their obedience or disobedience to the word. Verse 13, for there is no creature hidden in his sight. Nothing in all creation is hidden. Do not think you will get away with it. Do not think that no one sees and no one knows. Do not think that whatever you think in your heart and in your head is unheard. God sees and knows all. The word of God keeps a record. All things shall be laid bare. All things shall be exposed. They shall be shouted from the rooftop, Jesus said. Beloved, do not think that your acts of disobedience are unimportant. Or you're dialing down, you're stepping back, you're dissolving into worldliness. Has no meaning. Everything is Before his eye, nothing is hidden. Everything is in his sight, and this expression literally means he's watching. It's in in the center of his eye, like like when you're sikt upon something. Was the English aiming on something? You're in the crosshairs of his attention. But all things are, op- are naked and open in- to the eyes of him who must, to whom we must give account. I really like this expression. When I, whenever I um, was reading it this, w- this, uh, this week, it means to, to bend back the neck, to expose the jugular. It's a, a fighting time. So of course, it appeals to me. It means to make vulnerable. If you can imagine when you're fighting... And, uh, and you, you pull back someone's head, exposing the neck. One strike there with a sword and the jugular's open. And, or when they were butchering animals, they would pull back the head of the animal and and it would spray. Apparently, you know, this was to be... When, when a conquered people knelt before their conqueror, they would lift up their heads... Expose their neck as a, as a sign of submission and defeat. Or a, a condemned man who's about to have his head chopped off or be executed, like the Apostle Paul in, in the end who had his head chopped off. When they were put on the chopping block, they would put a leather thong around their neck and they would stretch out their heads, exposing the neck. To make it easier for the the executioner to strike that killing blow. All things are naked and open. All things are exposed and vulnerable. You are at your most vulnerable before him. There's nothing you can do. Everything is vulnerable before him. Why? Because to him we must give account. Therefore, therefore, let us be diligent to press on. Let us be diligent to be obedient. Let us be diligent not to fall into sinful disobedience just from not doing. The sin of not doing. I think the majority of us as Christians are guilty of the sin of not doing more than the sin of doing. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. And I've never killed someone and I don't go drinking and I don't use bad language and I don't, I don't. don't. All those things are probably very true. I hope they're all true. But oftentimes this is the sin of omission, the sin of not doing that we're guilty of. That I, I don't spend time together with him in personal. Him, as in not Daniel, but the Lord. In personal communion. I don't pray. I don't. Spend regular time in the scriptures. I don't, I, I, I don't cultivate a worshipful heart. I don't teach my children. I don't speak to my neighbors. There is a whole world of omission there that we are guilty of. And we can't think that we're going to get away with it. We can't think that, we're, that God's just going to let us keep going and going and going and going. God has his people on a leash. And he'll give you liberty and he'll give you freedom. But then there comes a time when he pulls you back. He'll let you do what you want to do in order so that he'll say, come back, come back. No, no, no. And you'll go so far. And then they'll stop you. And we all know this, don't we? I mean, we who have children, I remember my boys, when I used to take them to, the, when they were little, take them to the swimming pool in Jakobstad. Oh, death trap. Uh, and uh, some of the boys, I'll not mention who, but he's not the first child, he's not the third child, but he's certainly one of, the, one of those three. And he would, he would climb out of the pool and he would just run as fast as he could towards the, 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 either the other pole, the one with the jets in it, or the diving boards, as fast as he could. And I'd be all shouting out, Don't run! And you know me, when I shout, the whole place knows, like, you know, it's not like I'm not quiet. So I'd be like, Do you have to shout? I'm like, Until that one day when he got out of the pole and he began to run, whoop! As we legs went up in the air, and he landed on his shoulders. Thank God he didn't land on his head, he landed on his shoulders, but like, literally, boom! Why do we we who are responsible people? We know that we must care for those who are vulnerable and those who we have we're responsible for. And we let them off with some stuff, but there, there's some stuff you can't let them off with. Why again, same child, different time, don't go into the deep water. You can't swim all that well. I'm okay. While rescuing one child from from something, thank goodness that the uh the swimming guards got him and pulled him up by the hair, literally, like literally from the hair and pulled him out of the water, or else he wouldn't have been here with us today. The Lord will let you go for a time, but there will always be an accountability. There will always be a stopping. Do you know why? Because God Himself cares for you and He cares. Holds responsible those whom he loves. He rebukes those that he loves. It says in Revelation 20, chapter 3, I think. So be swift and repent and come back to me. Beloved, do not think you will get away with it. Do not think that it is hidden. Do not think by stepping back, the danger of stepping back, of cultivating this evil heart of unbelief will lead to Nothing. Learn from history. Learn from your own experience. Learn from your own practical history. If you do this, negative things will happen. If you don't pay your bills, there are consequences. If you don't service your car and put oil in it, there are consequences. If you don't look after your physical being, and just abuse it, there are consequences. If we do not look after our spiritual being, if we do not feed our souls, if we do not give devotion to the Lord, if we do not walk in his ways and keep his requirements, there are consequences. But let you and I, let us be among those who are diligent, urgent, zealous, steadfast and continuous, not like those who have gone on before us, those who are around us, who have hardened their hearts and turned away and embraced the world and become worldly Christians. And now there's no more difference between them and the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. Indeed, one might say many of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons are more steadfast in their religion than many Christians are today, Sadly. Let us always remember that we must give an account. We will give an account of our lives. Oh, I pray that that's a good account. I Pray that it might be. We might hear that expression, but we should live to hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Well done, good and faithful. Enter into your rest. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we are grateful for the witness of the word. We are grateful, Lord, that you have not left us without a light, without a lamp to, to lead our way. We pray, Lord God, that we might learn from the, the stories of the past, the histories, the witness of the scripture. We are grateful, Lord, that you look into our innermost being. That Lord, you are able to discern who we are and what we do and where we're at, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that though we might be able to fool all those around us, we can never fool you. That you are the parent who cares for us and and takes care of us. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would motivate our hearts, that we would be faithful. That, Lord, we wouldn't give give in to this evil heart of unbelief, this deadness of spirit. Lord, this desiring of the world. But, Lord, that we would be yours and yours alone. Lord, help us. Give us a vision of eternity. Give us a vision of yourself. Lord, help us not to be like the world or love like the world or think like the world or act like the world. Oh, Lord, help us not to be intimidated by the spirit of false religion. The Lord tries to dial back or dim down the light of Christ that's within us. Oh, Father, we pray be real to us in a very real way. Father, we pray move in us and through us. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.